and welcome to the next episode of Songcraft Breaking It Down, Season 3, Episode 2. Hopefully you are still enjoying the new intro music, as we all are. Um, obviously last week was Antley's Choice Song, that was Don't Stop Believing by Journey. If you haven't listened to it, be sure to go and check that out. You can come back to this episode and you will find out what Ethan's choice was. But now we have Ethan's choice, and it is Under a Glass Moon by Dream Theatre. So Ethan, why did you choose this song? Because I definitely wanted to do a Dream Theatre song at this point in the podcast. So my idea for this season of the podcast is to cover some of my all-time favourite artists. Now, I've loved Dream Theatre for so long, I can't even remember when I first discovered them. Um, I know Ryan thinks he introduced me to them, and as a brother and as a guy we know up here uh, in Shetland who also thinks he introduced me to Dream Theatre. Neither of you did. I cannot for the life of me remember where I first found them, though. Um, but ultimately, I know where I first found them. <laughs> I'll find that out later, I guess. It's a good story. But, uh, I'll look forward to it. Um, but, yeah, Dream Theatre are a band made out of, needless to say, some of the best musicians, if not the best musicians of their variety in the world. How they've managed to come together and make almost an orchestra of rock instruments. It's a funny, perhaps, phrase to say, but if you listen to them and sort of experience some of the things they do, you kind of see what I mean. They're an absolutely phenomenal um, group of musicians. Now, Mike Portnoy is on drums, and the drums to this song, I'm sure Ryan will back me up on this, are outstanding. The tempo, chi- tempo shifts, um, the power, the gentleness in other sections, the variety is phenomenal. It's John Petrucci on guitar, and John Petrucci, I think, is widely recognised as the most unbelievable guitarist alongside Steve Vai uh, in the world, except John Petrucci adds that extra thing of making it sound good as well. Steve Vai is really cool and impressive on the uh, guitar, but a lot of the time it's just impressive noise, whereas John Petrucci gives it a sound, a rhythm. Um, and so, this being the case, and of course with the singer being really good as well, other instrumentalists being really good, but Portnoy and Petrucci being my favourites. I wanted to choose a song that specifically highlighted both of their abilities really, really well. And I can't think of any Dream Theater song that does it as well as Under a Glass Moon because the tempo shifts, like we say in this song, are phenomenal. And there's a quick section of the solo, which I'm sure we'll talk about more later on, uh, that just impresses me so much. Um, so, yeah, that is the story of why I chose Under a Glass Moon specifically, um, despite all of the phenomenal songs that you have coming out of Dream Theater's direction. I can't lie, it was... It's hard to choose a Dream Theatre song. Because... Uh, uh, yeah. Just to name three that I've been really into this week, besides this one, is The Best of Times, which is 13 minutes long. Equally incredible. And I, I believe we said it last week, was Dream Theatre don't write songs, they compose them. Which sounds really weird when someone says it. But when you actually listen to them and realise that a lot of their songs are... See, this is seven minutes long. That's pretty short for them. It is quite short. It's actually mm. funny you say that, because in the uh, the uh, page I have open, it says, Under a Glassman, which runs seven minutes and three seconds, not an unusual length for the band. I'd say it's pretty unusual. Sub 13, 15 minutes is pretty unusual. But all of these long songs are composed in one take, which is what I love even more. Yeah. Like, uh, and I think uh, Mike Portnoy on drums is... I think the reason he's such an incredible drummer is not purely down to his own talent, 
but also down to the fact that John Petrucci and him work incredibly well together and it is such a shame that Mike Portnoy left Dream Theatre and mm-hmm. it's now Mike Mangini who Mike Mangini I will not ever criticise as a drummer because he is a drum machine he never misses a note that man is insane but he is not a feeling drummer he's not got a good feel and I don't like a good gel for the music and there's rumours that we'll not really go into but there is rumours that Petrucci is writing the drum parts and Mangini's just performing them which the truth of that I don't know but Portnoy and Portnoy may not have hit every note he may not be note perfect he's not far off to be honest but he may not be hitting every note exactly right as Mangini may do but he's got such a good feeling for John Petrucci's music and such a good feeling for music that he plays the drums to really help the song they build the song they don't oppose the song they flow brilliantly together and this is just the way he can go from a a double time double bass beat to half time with some amazing fills and some amazing sounding drums he's got enough of them to to be honest if you ever see this kit he's just he's an amazing drummer i i have no end to the nice things i can say about mike portnoy because he's simply incredible as a drummer it's, and he is wherever he goes. It, it's mind-boggling. I was, I was just going to come on to that. My introduction to Mike Portnoy was not in Dream Theatre. LTE? It was in, no. It was oh. in Avenged Sevenfold. Avenged Sevenfold. So yeah. far away. Yeah. The entire album, Nightmare, he did the drums for. And it's just... The drums are insane. I can't tell you to listen to the album. But... Some of the songs on there are just... The drumming is next level. Like... <laughs> there's no words. You can't describe his drum drumming ability. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just mind-blowing. And we mentioned the drumming aspects of it when we did Rush, because Neil Peart is a phenomenal drummer in his own right. He's mind-blowing as well. But, at the, but oh. uh, you can see like the draw from... Rush, because they mentioned that they had a lot of draw from Rush, but yeah. it's maybe just my bias towards Dream Theater. But I would say Portnoy takes what Neil Peart has done and just one ups it in some sort of unique way to him. It's maybe a risky thing to say, but a risky thing. To I, say, I, I wouldn't. Say. I wouldn't agree. Mike Portnoy is an incredible drummer, and I rate him incredibly highly. But I think he's got a little bit of a genre. That he's very good at. He's very good at rock, metal, rock. Yeah, to be fair, that's a good argument. Yeah, I'm with Rush. You. And actually, I think Portnoy could play swing. He could play loads of different ones. But Pert and Rush just did something completely different. Sparta Radio is a great example. Mm-hmm. Where it goes from being a prog rock song to oh, a, reggae song. a reggae song. And the beat just changes. And, you know. And I think another incredible thing with Neil Pert, not to bring this up again, I'm sure I've mentioned it in last season's episode but he had towards the end of his life he had really bad arthritis in his hands so he Mm. was playing through agony and still never missed a note somehow and yeah Neil Parrott was incredible Mike Portnoy is amazing as well and I think not just not just as a drummer but as a musician I think they're going back to what you said about composing um songs that's another thing I like about Portnoy specifically in Dream Theater. He was really good in Liquid Tension Experiment. I mentioned LTE to Anthony earlier. 
And Avenged Sevenfold, um, I, I'm not big on them for obvious reasons. I like the songs that I know by them, but I obviously haven't done research into the them. The thing I will say about Avenged Sevenfold getting Portnoy in to replace the drummer, because obviously the story is, um, the, the song so far away off the album Nightmare was written because the drummer, I believe, mm. committed suicide. Yeah. Um, sadly. And Toto had this where their drummer passed away and we reviewed that song for season one, if you remember, I believe we talked about this, I Will Remember by Toto, which to me was one of the poorest send-offs for a drummer you could possibly do, because the drums were terrible. I don't know who they got in to do the drums, but it was rubbish, I can tell you that. Avenged Sevenfold got Mike Portnoy in to do the drums, and that's how you send off a drummer, and I think he yeah. did an amazing job. That's that's like getting Ed Sheeran in to send off Steve Vai. It's like... Oh, I've got I've got plenty to say about Ed Sheeran as a guitarist. <laughs> um, no, but, we just leave it there. But <laughs> that's what it's like. Yeah. yeah. But the point I was going to make about composing, anyway. Mike Portnoy, in like Tension Experiment and um, Avenged Sevenfold, he's a great drummer. But something about being in Dream Theater, he's just something else because you can listen to the drums to Dream Theater on their own. And they just sound all over the place. They don't necessarily make sense. It's the same with the guitar, with John Petrucci. You can listen to it. It's kind of out of time. It's out of rhythm. It makes no sense. It's when you put the two together that they just make this absolutely phenomenal orchestral, environmental aura of a sound. It just yeah. works so well together. You can't have individual pieces of it. And how they wrote that, I don't know. They must have wrote it step by step the whole way. I can't imagine how long it takes them to write some of these songs because mm. one without the other doesn't sound right. It doesn't make sense. It's only when you pull them together and have it as one orchestra of music, or orchestra of sounds, that it sounds brilliant. And again, Under a Glass Moon is a phenomenal example of that. This whole album is actually a really good example of that. Pull Me Under, it's more of a heavier rock song. Pull Me Under, a specifically a prog metal song. This is more of a uh, prog song, generally. It covers oh, lots of different sounds. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Sorry, I've just clicked on Pull Me Under, and that iconic um, kind of guitar riff at the start just takes me back to what it sounds like. It's, yeah. Kevin Moore did the keyboard for this song. There's even not then, a lot of keyboard in this. A lot of it is um, guitar with a synth pedal on it. You, you don't notice a lot of keyboard in Dream Theater songs, but it is actually very much there. Oh, yeah. I think it's yeah. so it's so well hidden and then um, John Myung who I believe is the current Dream Theatre mm. bassist they use it as a bass guitar basically um, yeah it, it's very much like other prog bands in which the, the uh, keyboard playing makes up the backbone of the song almost so you don't yeah. really hear it but without it you'd notice it you don't have the, the orchestral feeling yeah you don't have that big explosive feeling um, and actually interesting with the bass the bass has a really good section in this as well yeah. it was just a whole breakdown for the bass and it's really really like it's really heavy but it's really good um, but I this it's is also the, what leads into the solo which is funnily enough yeah and this is the first um, first Dream Theatre album the first Dream Theatre song I believe that James Labrie sang on and James Lebrie is, yeah, a he's very brilliant unique. 
vocalist. My only concern with Labrie as a singer is his vibrato notes are just kind of slightly overdone. Other than that, he's phenomenal. There is, there's a note in this... my only hang-up with. There's a note in this song that he sings, and it sounds like a guitar chord. Like Mm. he's, like a guitar note. Sorry. Mm. It's cool. When I heard, I heard it the first time, I was like, that's awesome. (laughs) He can do that with his voice. I, I would say he's more like a like you were saying about Mike Portnoy being especially good for this style of music, I would say uh, Labrie's voice is suited for rock music. Because oh, yeah. when he did Far From Heaven, it's just a fan- phenomenal song, and I love it. I-, I could listen to that for, honestly, so many times, like, on loop. I love that song. Um, and the one I mentioned in the Weddings episode, uh, in the break between this season and the last. Uh, what, what song was that? I can't remember. But they're both acoustic, gentle songs. And while his singing is good, it's the one hold-up I have is the vibrato notes he does. It's the little bit mm. overdone. He goes too much range. That's just me. That's an opinion on my part, and my part alone, that's no fault to his at all. Mm. I think um, I just want to talk about um, why they're so good. Um, the, <laughs> We've the not members. got enough time, Anthony. <laughs> um, no, no. I, I just want to point out one thing that I picked up on. All of them have done a heck of a lot of music. Oh, so, yeah. John Petrucci has played in his solo career, did two albums. With Dream Theater, he did a chunk of albums. Then with Liquid Tension Experiment, three albums. G3, one album. Uh, Jordan uh, Jordan Rudess, in his solo career, one album. And he's played in a load of guests and loads of others as well. Then you've got Mike Portnoy. He has played drums. It's and countless it, bands. That you've obviously got Dream Theater. Then you got LTE. Then you've got Transatlantic, Liquid, uh, and then LTE. And not a different, uh, different LTE. Yeah, different lineup. Um, and then you've got the Adventure Sevenfold album, Near Morse, Near Morse Band, uh, Flying Colors. Yep. For John Petrucci. I forgot. I forgot he did Flying BPMD, Colors. BPMD. I forgot about Metal that. Allegiance, OSI, Sons of Apollo, The Winery Dogs, Sons John Arch, really and Between Dogs. the Buried and Me. And that's that's just listing the the artists that he's played with, let alone the albums that he's actually played on. Yeah. The way I found Mike Mike Portnoy in an entire dream theatre was actually um I can't remember what the YouTube channel was, but they did they got him in to play name that song but they didn't give him a proper drum kit they gave him like a little um hello kitty drum kit yeah they, I've, I've seen Kid, that with a few kids artists. hello kitty drum kit that's just like a single bass two toms and a cymbal and then they did it twice with them the first time they only gave him one bass and then the second time they gave him two bass pedals and that's that's how i found dream theater was through mike portnoy but I do remember in the double bass video, this is worth mentioning because it's really funny, he played Hot for Teacher and I got it immediately <laughs> on this, like, Pokemon kid's drum kit that he was far too big for. And he ends up, like, booting it halfway across the room yeah. trying to play, like, half yeah. the songs on double bass fiddle, but it's brilliant. It's a great video if you actually look it up. Yeah. Like um, I say, I'm not a drummer, but I am a guitarist, and we're going to run out of time. I need to talk about the solo at some point. <laughs> yep. Petrucci, let's go. <laughs> So, John Petrucci, 
In terms of technical ability, he's probably, I think I mentioned this in the, in the Bon Jovi episode from last season, in terms of technical ability, John Petrucci is my favourite. He's phenomenal. Richie Sambora will always be my ultimate favourite because he's just too cool. But John Petrucci has some level of ability and he did this thing with Joe Satriani once. He came on to support Joe Satriani, who is also a phenomenal guitarist in his own right. He did this thing. I think he was supposed to come in for the next song, I think. But he came on slightly early. He started. Look, he looked at what um, Joe Cetriani's doing on his guitar. And then he walks away and starts playing along to it with a harmony. But he, how? <laughs> and I think there was a video on it as well where he comes in, he walks over, and like laser beams come out of his eyes, and it starts scanning the guitar. It's been edited over, and like lots of calculations start appearing on the screen uh, as a joke. But he is that kind of guitarist, and. I mentioned in the solo, so he's a shred master. So, how like he is, he's able to do sweet picking, he's able to do fast picking, and he's able to do it all at the same time. He's it's just amazing. But there's one little bit in this that I absolutely love, and there's a there's a small section of Ben. So if you listen to this song, um, audience, and I'm assuming these two already have, if you listen to the solo, the second half of the solo, because it's divided into two sections, he does this. This uh, repeated little bend bit where it goes like that. But hitting a bend to the right note, it takes a lot of practice. Hitting that same, I think it's, it's not even a round number. It's not like a half or a full note either. It's somewhere in the middle. I'm, I can't quite remember what it is. But when you're doing that, he he does that one after the other. Now, to get an in-time bend, uh, sorry, um, an in-key bend is quite hard. To do it that many times, that quickly, and then go back into a little shred back down the neck again, I just absolutely love it. It's such a small part of the solo, but it just, like, ah. I'm getting a full-on, like, um, Bon Jovi vibe about this again. I'm getting all excited. It's just phenomenal. Uh, John Petrucci, I think Anthony mentioned a lot of John Petrucci's solo work. Uh, What was the one... The one he's most known for as a solo artist. It's not on there, not on there, not on there. Oh, maybe not the one he's most well known for. Damage Control. Number 10 on Spotify. Damage Control. That goes through a whole bunch of different genres as well. And he's still doing the same thing with his uh, time changes. Yeah. And he goes through different genres and all that. I think I know why I spent so much time talking about Portnoy in this is because I don't know how to voice my love for John Petrucci in this. Um, one thing I will say, if in the future I ever need a, a present for something, or you ever want to buy me a thing, get me a JP6. <laughs> it's his signature guitar model, and it's so cool. It has little buttons on it, and you move, you can push the knobs in or pull the knobs out, and it does different things. So you can do have set select different guitar tones. Ah, oh, he's just so cool, and he is. He's one of the few people that can pull off a ridiculous beard that long. He looks like a wizard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one way of putting that. I yeah. The solo was brilliant. The whole the whole song's just amazing. And it's kinda I I I read up on this and the album. Um because this album was this was from their second album, um, Images and Words, which actually sold 600,000 copies in America, which wasn't expected by the the label at the time, which was a company called Atco. Mm -hmm. Um, And this album was what put them on the map. 
this is the reason that they are they were classified at the time as one of the top progressive metal bands of the time. Along what do you mean with one of, <laughs> along they with are the progressive yeah, metal band. along with Rush. No, 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 no. Along with Queen Because mm. actually, when oh. you start looking into Queen you realise they're actually a really good band. I can't believe I slated them so much in season one. Silence is such a good song. It yeah. is. I can't believe I bashed that so much, but you're just bitter after uh, so long. Thanks for all the fish. Probably a little bit, yeah. But I, the thing, the thing with Dream Theater is that it almost came crashing down on them quite badly because Atco got absorbed into a couple of other companies, initially East West, which then got absorbed by a little company called Electra. Now, this is a company I've not read an awful lot of positive things about for their musicians, um, especially in the late 80s and 90s, um, because they effectively, according to the article I read, and I'll quote it, um, Electra drove the band to the brink when they pushed for a hit on their 1997 album, Falling Into Infinity. Um, the band survived the ordeal and were later given total control of their work, which they used to keep pushing their musical boundaries, which I'm very glad they did, because that's why we have so many good Dream Theatre songs now. Does that make them indie? <laughs> no, because they're, they're still... I don't know who they're signed to now, but Electra. Uh. I remembered when I read Electra, and I remembered this is not a good company. I remember there was something that Motley Crue had a bad dealing with, and I eventually found it. I was speaking to Anthony about this earlier. Mm. Um, I will quote one Nicky Six. What a who, guy! Yeah, from his national radio radio program program Six Cents, um, in which he said, <laughs> and I'll quote this. Just quote him saying this. Um, our record company back in the day, Electra Records. Um, we turned in the 1983 LP "Shout of the Devil" and they rejected the album. Uh, they said they didn't like it. It sounded like it didn't sound like 1981's "Too Fast for Love." We changed the logo, we changed our look, and so we and so we said, "Fine, then we'll go to another record company." So Electra did eventually put out the album, and it sold four million copies. Electra was about to go bankrupt at the time, and that saved them. <laughs> and then Sounds when our right. next record, 1985's "Theater of Pain," got turned in with "Home Sweet Home," which is an amazing song, by the way. On it, they rejected that album. They said, This is horrible, and you have to take that song off the record. You guys aren't a ballad band. So we did the same thing. He continues, We were always at war with that com- record company. They never really believed in us. And so we came out with Smoking in the Boys Room, and that album blew up. And then we wanted to release Home Sweet Home as the next single and video. And the record company, Electra, said, No, 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 no way, no way. So we funded it. We shot the video ourselves, went on MTV, and, well, Home Sweet Home is a massive Motley Crue song, funnily enough. And mm. he, he continued in this towards the end of the quote, but that song, Home Sweet Home, was never a hit single. They never worked at a radio, they never promoted the song, and if it wasn't for MTV back in the day, when they used to play videos, that song wouldn't be the song it is today. But that's that song's kind of like our dream on. Aerosmith or Our Stairway to Heaven by Led Zepp, Led Zepp, right? Dream On was not a hit single either. But I, I, I find it interesting this record company's known <laughs> a little bit for limiting artistic 
things, and I read a few other stories. Which makes you wonder I, I thought, how they've managed to get a hold of so many good names if they have yeah, that reputation um, for my Absorbing they, other companies. Yeah, and they were a part yeah. of Warner Music, um, yeah. so they had a big name attached to them. Like they've um, got dealings with um, Metallica, and mm -hmm. Metallica was suing them for their master copies, basically, because they were only getting, I think, seventeen percent royalties, and that's like nothing. So the idea for the lurks behind this, we'd mentioned it earlier that this is all metaphors. He wrote it when he was in the car. In, when it was raining one time, and he's, yeah. all these metaphors started coming into his head, um, and he's put this song together. He'd already written the music for it, and so he again comes back to the composition. But, uh, and I think it used, they use uses the phrase, it's up to uh, listener discretion, <laughs> what it yeah. means. Yeah, I saw that as well. Um, the, the opening words, tell me, remind me, chase the water racing from the sky, always beside me, taste the memories running from my eyes. You can see how it, it it does fit that you could interpret it into whatever you wanted it to be. See that that to me um, kind of talks about tears because he's crying, yeah. and so you've got the memories running down, you know, down your face. But it's completely it's entirely vague. It could be. I think yeah. that is the point about crying and memories, missing memories. But it's written in a way you can. Mm. Like it could be like that's the so you feel distant from the memories so they're moving away from your eyes, mm -hmm. you know, running from before you. Or it could be bad memories causing him to cry. Or it could be, yeah. um, uh, you could go, and then I mean you get into like the rest of it. That's probably the most simple. Um, stands out there because the next one is nervous flashlights scan my dreams liquid shadows silence their screams I smile at the moon chasing water from the sky I argue with the clouds stealing beauty from my eyes what? <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd need to sit for a long time and try but and then that. arguing with the clouds stealing beauty from my eyes it could be that someone has died and he thinks that they're in the clouds as in in heaven so okay. he's arguing with the clouds because they stole them away from him so he's arguing with them saying why did you take them away that's why he's crying and that's why he's out in the rain Brian looks like he's got a very good point about to make <laughs> I, I read quite a few people's theories about there is obviously religious undertones in this and there's talk mm. of um, spirituality which I, I don't necessarily disagree with but I also don't agree with it because I think this is a song that doesn't have a set meaning mm -hmm. I think it is very open to interpretation but at the same time, I can see where they're coming from. And um, and the second verse, it mentions... Sorry, I'm kind of skipping ahead here. But it, it's it's more actually in the chorus, really, because it mentions Under Glass Moonlight. But it's the verse, technically, saying night awaits the Lamb's arrival. And there is the theory that that is the Lamb of God, in other words, Jesus. Mm -hmm. I don't think um, that was reading it now, yeah. Yeah. And then you've kind of got, by your hand, I've awakened, bear this honour in my name. But then again, that, that thing about the lamb. The Dream Theater like biblical metaphors. They do. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean that, which I think adds to the sort of mystery behind it. Exactly, and I think this is a song that I don't think we should define what it means because there isn't a set meaning. Mm -hmm. And like I, none of us are doing that, it's not what I'm meaning. But I think I'm interested if people want to write in and tell us what they think. 
what their view yes, on this song is because everyone everyone's different in how they read mm. into a song I know I've had it where I've spoke to Anthony and Ethan about a song of the day that I've been writing and my interpretation of the lyrics is either more positive or more negative than someone I think mm. the way you interpret a lot of songs depends on your mindset we had it on yeah. the the wedding songs episode Anthony views more than words as a positive song whereas I see it as a negative one it's how you listen to it and how you <laughs> interpret it and I just see the album cover <laughs> <laughs> And that's that's the kind of thing with with music, and why I think lyrics like this can be so great. So, write in with your theories about this song. Um, you can do that at our email address, songcraft.bid at gmail dot com, or you can um, drop us a message on Instagram or comment on one of our posts on Instagram at song.craft.bid. Um, now we can maybe do scores. <laughs> Ah, uh, so I've been dreading this. We'll take Ethan first. Yeah. I think it's very clear my thoughts on Dream Theater as a band, on John Petrucci as a guitarist, Mike Portnoy as a guitarist, Labrie as a singer. This song, like I mentioned, Labrie being someone I'm not just. I don't. I, I love him as a singer. I just don't like the vibrato in the more emotional songs because it's a bit too slow a bit too that's just me personally i think in he songs suits, he suits this song in this songs style of song. like this he is probably one of my favorites out there because you hear him do it live and somehow he hits the same notes i don't get it how after doing a whole album's worth of 15 minute songs he can still consistently hit these notes that's phenomenal that's brilliant we're, we're talking about recorded songs here look at some of the stuff they do live like you two and all those listening to this, look at Dream Theater's live work and you'll see why I love this band so much, why I love everything they've done. You look at the more intense prog metal songs, I'm a bit of a metal head, yes I know. You have the more intense stuff, you have um, on Octavarium there's a song, I can't mind exactly which one it is now, but there's one of those that's extremely heavy compared to Panic others. Panic Attack. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah the Panic most popular attack. song I believe according to Spotify. Alright. No, it's the second most popular. Ah. Uh, what? Yeah, I do know the most popular because it's a lot slower, isn't it? The yeah. most popular is. We discussed it earlier. Pull Me Under. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have Metropolis Part 1. That is another intensely instrumental song. Really, really, you know, metal esque um, in, in the song. But then you also have songs like. Um, I mentioned Far From Heaven um, Weather Wither Wither's still got a bit of Yeah, uh, there's another one I, I'll have to look it up I mentioned it in the Wedding Songs one Already, but I'll just keep it in this episode too uh, Where is it? Far From, oh that was Far From Heaven Okay, well I think it was that one I mentioned then uh, There's another acoustic one out there That's definitely floating around in my head at the moment uh, Very well known Dream Theater song they have this full range of different songs. Every song goes through multiple genres. They're progressive metal, it's prog. I'm trying to think of ways to sort of excuse having this score this early in the season. I think Ryan already knows where I'm going with this. Uh, this one's another perfect 100 for me because Dream Theater are phenomenal. They're a band that have been with me for so, so long. Um, everyone in the, it, it's a gathering of the best instrumentalists in the world. 
coming together and writing songs to suit each other's instruments. There's no competing to be in the spotlight. Um, I think that was one of Guns N' Roses' flaws. It was a lot of Axl Rose and Slash trying to compete for the spotlight. Although they, they do get on, but you can always tell there's that sort of between the two of them. There's none of that here. They all work together. It's just flawless. I love them. Absolutely love Dream Theater so much. Um, which is why I'm, I'm sorry, but I am giving this 100. I think that's fair enough. Um, Anthony, what's your score? Uh, <clears throat> so if you come 50. with fifty, I'm gonna come. Remember, if you give this fifty, I'm I'm coming down in less than a month. <laughs> um, so I think this is worth about a twenty-five. No, um, so I I have to I have to admit something first before I give my score. When I first heard it, I thought, oh great, it's just another one of those, you know, blazing guitars, oh, blah, blah, blah. Not to say I'm not a fan of that, but, you know, you sometimes get those stale, generic ones, there's no feel to them. Not and I thought, oh great. But, after I listened to it, and then listened to it again, and again, and again, I realised that it's so much more than that. They, they live up to their name, Dream Theatre. They, it's a theatrical experience, and you could That's a good literally be dreaming. You don't listen and to Dream Theater; you enjoy the experience of them. Yes. That, that's going to yeah. be the line from this. Yeah, you don't listen to Dream Theater; you experience Dream Theater. I love it. Um, I want that a shot. And it, yeah, it's it's really good, really really good. Um, like I. To be honest, I haven't listened to much of their stuff. I know Panic Attack and Octavarium because Panic Attack is popular and Octavarium is really long. Um, I haven't listened to much of their stuff, but I'd say that this was a good good place to start. And with members like Mike Portnoy, you know, John Petrucci, it, yeah, you, you can't go far wrong with people like that. So, my score for this song is 80 appreciate it because it doesn't no it doesn't have any sentimental value to me but I see mm-hmm. the level of skill and how amazing a song it is so obviously I'm not going to give it a full hundred because obviously for you it's been with you all your life whereas for me this is a new song that I heard you know this morning so it it <laughs> give an insight on how much preparation I do for this. <laughs> I was um, doing it as we went, so don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's why I, I would give it an 80. I don't know why I've not given it a 100, but I just don't feel it's a 100. Like, when I listen to it, I love it, but it's not, like, in the same way as Keep the Faith, that Keep the Faith I listen to and just think, yeah, that's a 100. I've got to, got to choose that as a 100. Um, Under a Glass Moon, Dream Theatre... I've given it a 95, like you, yeah. you were mentioning. It was going to be my ultimate um, score, but I had to give the bonus 5, just for how long I've loved Dream <sighs> Theater. I, I, they're, they're an immense band, and incredible, absolutely incredible song, and they have so many like this, it's not a one-off, but yeah, I'm giving it a 95. Where do you think you've come? <laughs> well, judging by those scores... I feel like I might have accidentally not. No, keep the faith got two. So that's a, mathematically speaking, I think this one will hit second, which I feel really bad about because Anthony's only just made top three and I've already kicked him out. So I kind of hope I'm fourth for Anthony's sake, but judging by the numbers that've been put on this, I don't think it's true. 
I will cry if I've been just knocked out of the top three. Um, get the touch straight. Tush- no, no. I'm so sorry, Andrew. There's one week in the top three. It wasn't even um, one week. <laughs> I spent about I spent about half an hour in the top three. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're recording these episodes back to back. For our listeners, it'll have been a week in the top. It, it will have been, a, yeah, it will have been a week for them. But for in you'll my get heart, to experience, you'll get to experience about six days, Anthony, um, when this is released. Um, this this song got a ninety-one point six seven, which puts it joint first with "Keep the Faith." So that that. Pushes Don't Stop Believing down into fourth last week's song. I'm sorry. It gives us the top three is Keep the Faith, Bon Jovi, Andrew Glassman, Dream Theatre, and The Spirit of Radio by Rush in third place from last season. Next week it's my choice of song. Now I've had a lot of debate about this. And I won't lie, I was tempted to go for November Rain, which is an amazing song, but I'm not going for it. And I was tempted to go for slightly smaller band than Guns N' Roses with a song called Always the Last Snow by Delamitri which I've also not gone for (laughs) instead I've gone for a song that I have been enjoying far too much for the last maybe six months now and it's a little song called To Be With You by Mr. Big wow because I want to be different but yeah, you can you can write to us and the you can write to us on Instagram or on our email. Uh, both of those are in the podcast description. If you want to let us know what you think this song is about, then please do. Um, we are we are now going to um, head off. We're going to end this episode. Um, we're going to continue bathing your soul in silver tears. We would like to thank you all for listening. That wasn't creepy at all. No, um, it did sound a bit desperate. <laughs> I've got to bathe your soul in silver tears. <laughs> I, don't I, can't, wait for, I can't wait for people <laughs> to hear that in their headphones. Just be like, <laughs> and on that note, I think we're going to end the episode. I'd like to thank you all for listening. We hope you've enjoyed and see you next week.